We have so many talented people here. We really do. I wish I was one of them, but there you are. Um, like, sometimes when you flip the coin, it comes up tails. It is uh, very touching to me to see Keith read the, the creed in a public place. And it made me think, so many of you joined in over the, our request to read the creed and we cut and pasted so that we would have four or five readers per, that we stretched it out for well over a month. What if we decided to issue a challenge to record it like Keith did in a public place? Now, you don't have to make a nuisance of yourself. You know, don't stand on the restaurant table and shout it. We don't, we don't want to be those people. Jesus does not need us to be irritating. Uh, he has enough irritating people already. And so we're, we're well topped up there. Instead, just a gentle reading somewhere. And it doesn't have to be in a city. It could be out somewhere in the country as well. But I just think that that would be a nice thing to see. And those of you that are wondering if it's Christmas where Sarah is, it was an older video and we decided to use it. I'm just messing up your stuff. You will never be able to sit here again. Oh, good. And he also locked it in there. Great. <laughs> They're on to me. Uh, anyway, the, uh, Sarah is making other videos for us, but they weren't here yet. And besides, we like that one. And she has sent us several different bits of information about different people and different congregations there that we have not shared and I think most of you understand why. There are some countries where we have quite a few viewers that it is not okay to be a viewer in those countries. So we don't talk about where they are. We don't talk about what they're doing. But you need to know that Sarah's on the job. And that um, I heard this week from her father, who has decided to make this his church now. Uh, he's been traveling quite a bit to a church. And he said, you know, I think this is home. And so that's just, that's cool as well. All that said, 1 Corinthians, thank you so much. Topper, you did a great job. Uh, I, I love to see the, the, the Dutch and Carolyn act there. That's, that's always fun. Um, and then you just do a lovely job. You do. So um, when we read 1 Corinthians 13, we tend to hit the middle bits. That's what you hear at weddings. That's what you hear Every time Valentine's Day rolls around and the, and the minister's wondering, what in the world am I going to talk about this time? You know, you're going to get the center section of 1 Corinthians 13. However, I don't think we really take enough time to look at the weight of the first part and the last part. We looked at a little bit of the, the, the last part a few weeks ago. Here there remains faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And you guys all knew that. And we talked about the ramifications of love being greater than faith or hope. And what message that sends. And it should be an earth shattering message. It should make us back up and realign things. But we tend to read over it and go, oh love, and move on. When we shouldn't move on that fast. There is something really big in the first part of that chapter. When humans first ate the fruit... They moved the center of all things. No longer was God the center of the universe, the standard, the one by which all things are and must be measured. For example, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but if you want to know how long a meter is, 
you have to go to France because France has the meter. You have a standard there. And a Bureau of Standards here in, this, in the United States has yardsticks. They have, uh, they have what a yard is, what an inch is, what a mile is. They have all of those standards. How do we determine dry weight? What we're, it's all there. Everything we have is an approximation. Now, as any musicians here, and I'm sure you've run across this uh, many times, know you can buy tuners for guitars, and some of you really need to. But I, I, I belong to the tune it or die club. Um, when you buy tuners, however, you need to make sure you're all using the same one. Because some tuners don't tune it to the same place the others do and claim they do. Where's the standard? You need to pick a standard. If you need a meter, you know where to go. If you need a yard, you know where to go. What's the center of the universe? God is until we moved him. Once we ate the fruit, we became, as scripture said, like gods telling good and evil. We moved ourselves to this center. We moved ourselves to be the ones that said, all things are measured by my approval or disapproval, by my take on whether it's good or whether it's bad. And that's why every good thing we do is unbalanced. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. Every good thing we do is unbalanced. The universe is not neutral. And so we do a good thing and there are unintended consequences. We do a good thing and then we find out later it wasn't good. I could do this with medicine all day long. We treated ulcers forever with, you know, eat a mild, bland diet, have milk. And, like, and then we found out it's probably a bacteria and all that stuff wasn't helping you. In fact, it was hurting you. Same with salt. Now, for a long time, salt's the enemy, salt's the enemy. Well, if you have super high blood pressure, fair enough, or bad kidneys, fair enough. But most of the things we said it caused, it didn't. We were trying to be good. We were trying to be good the way we raised our kids. But which, who among us would not change the way we raised them if we had them again? Because we learned something. We, we progress. Even our good is unbalanced unless we pay attention and we restore God to the center and act out of love, the world continue, will continue to be out of balance. Now, God does call us to believe certain things and to do certain works. So I mean, take a look at Matthew 25, the judgment scene in the last half of that, that chapter. There are definitely things that God approves of and enjoys and appreciates. The giving, the caring the, of the poor, the visiting in prison. All of that sort of thing on the day of judgment. That's what he's talking about. Actions out of love. But God does not call us to do those things. This is so important. He does not call us to do those things because they are ethical. Or because they are good. But because they are acts of love. And if we do not get that difference, if we do not understand that separation, well, there's going to be a couple of illustrations today which may make you uncomfortable, but that's where we'll end up if we don't sort this out. We do what we do not to become Christians. We do what we do because we are Christians. We don't do what we do to be saved. 
we do what we do because we are saved. And God is the center. And we act out of love. We are joining God in his work. Taking care of the poor, clothing them and the like. How's that joining God in his work? Well, what does God do? Jesus said he sends a rain on the just and the unjust. That he gives the food to the just and the unjust. He cares for them and then he says, join me in my work. He gifts people <coughs> well before they believe in him. Even if they never come around to believe in him, he still sends gifts. That's what God does. The acting out of love. <coughs> Sorry, I'm not... Well, I am dying. We all are. But um, not, it's, I'm, it's not close. Maybe. Stay tuned. There might be a cliffhanger at the end. Everything, everything hangs on an understanding between that there's a difference between acting out of ethics and acting out of love. It's hard, to, uh, it's hard to explain it, but we fall into a trap. Whenever we act out of ethics, we are putting ourselves the standard, the center, and we're moving in and displacing God. Until we act out of love and join what God is doing, the universe is unbalanced. Think of a marriage. God often refers to our relationship with him as a marriage and our relationship to each other as a marriage and then collectively the bride the church is his bride so let's talk about a marriage think of a marriage that looks perfect absolutely perfect you're watching it and you're thinking that's the perfect marriage that's the marriage to which all should try to emulate that marriage it might be a wonderful marriage it might be but it might not be. Think of this. My, my wife and I have been married now for almost 43 years. And uh, what, what would it have been like if early on we made lists for each other? This is what you must do and be for us to be happy. And we wrote them all down. And we go every day. But then we, at the end of the day, we check to make sure the boxes for that day have been checked. And if they have, we declare it a success. We shake hands. And we move on. Do you think it would last that long? To an outside observer, doesn't know about the list, it might look good because we're all doing the right things. But as Paul said, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you do the right things. If it's not out of love, it's nothing. Huh. Well, let's start looking at a hidden fact. And I'm being very cautious about the way I sneak up on this. Because um, I you know, used to be a shrink, got better. Um, learned, I, I ran to, more, uh, to a harder science. But let's talk about sociopaths. Some of them are, have been loose in our streets recently and they've killed babies and they have killed people and they have thrown us all for a loop. A sociopath has no feelings. They have no fear, no love, no sense of value of the other. They have no inner life. What about a man who is a sociopath who's hiding it? Most of them do. 
And, and they can successfully go through life. Do not confuse that with somebody who's on the spectrum with autism or the like. This is a whole different thing. You can be born a sociopath, and I'm sure God understands that, knows that, and will judge them appropriately. You can be made a sociopath through drugs or abuse is a more common pathway. Um, as an escape from pain, you refuse to have feelings, and that creates that situation. But we're going to talk about a husband being a sociopath. Sociopaths are able to function in society because they are able to learn, observe, and copy. They copy. All right, when this happens, we laugh. When this happens, we do this. When, and they, they are keen observers. Now, psychopaths are a whole different thing. Um, they say that uh, the neurotic people, you know, they dream of castles in the air. The sociopaths visit them and psychopaths live there. And so it's a different level. And we're all neurotic to some extent, so don't worry about that. Sociopathy is, is, um, is a different thing. Here is a man, he's not aware he's not normal because he lacks feelings. He lacks empathy. He has no way to know he's not normal. He just knows that other people behave in a different way. So he studies all the marriage books and he goes to all the marriage retreats. He takes notes and religiously, I'm using that term on purpose, religiously follows all the rules about what makes a happy, good marriage. Just take a wild guess. Is his wife happy? Unlikely. Because there's no love, no spontaneity, no playfulness, no wit or whimsy in the marriage. There's only the faithful following of rules. Is he doing good? Yes. Is he doing ethical things? Yes. Is he doing everything right? Yes. Is it pleasing? No. Because love is to be the center, not the rules. Step aside for a minute and think about nature. We love our back deck. We have a screened-in porch. We had to have it screened in because in Tennessee, the bugs want to kill you. So we, we had to do that. We have a little patent place that acts out every day in our backyard. The birds, for some reason, have decided this is where we will come to argue with each other. And it is hilarious. We love it. We, enjoy, we, we even um, take sides, you know, so because it's fun to do that little soap opera back there. We enjoy watching the playfulness, the, the emotions in birds. If birds can have emotions, sure. God's put playfulness and whimsy in nature. The way otters play. The way birds play. Dolphin, monkeys, apes, lion cubs. More. He puts the wiggle in our kids. And what do we try to do? Stop wiggling. Be good. Sit in church. Be good. Behave. Be good. Without rejoicing in the whimsy and the playfulness and the spontaneity that love has. Now, I, I grew up with a very different kind of life, and my mind is a rather scientific one. So whimsy is something which I think is wonderful and I think should be planned. Um, <laughs> I think spontaneity is great as long as we, sh we understand when it starts, when it ends, the purpose thereof, uh, our end point, and, and there, 
I even surprised my wife when we lived in Colorado with a trip um, overnight to Leadville. And she said, you you're, you're just springing this on me. I said, absolutely. And she goes, but you planned it all. And I went, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, I have. And, and this is the part you will enjoy. Uh, this is, uh, this, this, we frolic here, but not over here. The, um, God doesn't do it that way, does he? He throws it all out in front of us. I've used the illustration before. Thank you for all your prayers about my mom. Uh, she's gone through some health crises that she's being evaluated for. Um, I will have my first chance to see her in a hospital. They severely limit uh, visits in this particular part of the hospital. So my first chance to get to see her will be today at three, and it's a very limited time. So I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, I'll let our team know how we're doing, but I'm not going to let my mom's secrets out, except for this one. I'll never forget. We're just driving along. I had two older sisters at the time, and so I always had to ride the hump. Kids, ask your parents, because back then, everything was rear-wheel drive. There was a huge transmission tunnel in the car, and the person who sat in the middle without window access also had to have their knees elevated. There was no room, and you could not touch their area, or with my sisters, the air in their area. So you're just going along. And I can remember my mom suddenly went, oh, kids, kids, look out the left side, look out the left side, the, 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 look, look left, look over there. And we're all looking over there, and there's nothing there, just trees and grass. We've seen it before. So I looked over, and there were two cows um, doing a, a not very successful game of leapfrog. Um, but, but one of them was determined to keep going. And <laughs> my mother was just, <laughs> and she turned to my father, and said, they shouldn't be doing things like that right outside. <laughs> God did it. God lifted up baboon butts and painted rainbows. He taught bees how to dance. And what do we think he wants? Everybody in church solemn. Really? You think he wants us to be sociopaths? You think he wants us to follow the rules, but no emotion. The husband, the sociopath, he looks perfect, but he's not because there aren't any real feelings, real love. And though the actions are right, it doesn't matter. This, this actually formed a part of, um, it, well, the whole idea was explored in Ira Levine's uh, classic book, The Stepford Wives. In, he wrote it in 1972. They made a movie from the book in 1975. There was a remake in 2004. But if you don't know the basic story, the basic story is women in a certain town are perfect. The, their wives are all perfect. They're being slowly made into robots. Spoiler alert, it was 50 years ago. You had time to, to read the book. Um, on the outside, they're beautiful. Always beautiful for their husbands, serving, submissive, always available to the husbands, always happy. But there is something very dark and very subhuman underneath. And the outside women that moved into that area were slowly taken over by this as well. Then you read 1 Corinthians 13 again. If I do this without love, if I do this without love, I sacrifice everything. I say it perfectly. I speak like an angel, but there's no love. It's dark, isn't it? 
it's dark. And churches, churches can often be sociopathic husbands. They're full of well-behaving people who live in a world of ethical rules. They're even given a list sometimes. My church was, was kind of a Taliban wing church, but, and they didn't write down the rules, but you knew the rules. We don't do this, and we don't do that, and we don't do this, and we don't do this. And I, I can remember my, my dad used to drive it home to us as kids by using us as remote controls. This is going to be so hard for some of you to remember. There were times I thought the only reason my dad had kids was so that we could change the channels on the telly because you didn't used to have a remote control. You used to have a dial there that went clunk, clunk, clunk. It, it was not an onerous task because we only had clunk, clunk, and then later the clunk. We only, uh, we only had three, but... To, you know, every time a cigarette commercial came on, you turn that down, you know, and that was to teach us that we have nothing to do with cigarettes. I was always just trying, well, what are they saying? You know, uh, or a beer commercial, I'm thinking, they seem happy, you know, but that was all inside. That was all inside. And we, but this was a way of ethical behavior. We approve, we disapprove, learn the rules, stay in the lane. Do you ever go to one of those amusement parks where one of the rides is you get a ride around in old-looking cars and the kids get to steer it, but only about an inch. And it's on a rail. That was so disappointing. I wanted, I finally have the car. I want to go places. You can't. Is that what God wants for your life? Does he want to keep you right there? behaving. I think too many Christians think so. Too many Christians give a bit on Sunday, nowhere near a tithe, but they're proud of it. They give what they can, and they assume that their debt to the poor and orphans is now met. In fact, they will walk by homeless without looking at them because they already gave it the office, the church. And isn't the government supposed to take care of things like this? By giving and attending, they think they've done their work. And by approving and disapproving of the right things, I call these attendance and abstinence churches, AA churches. Because you attend and you don't do these things and you're faithful. Therefore, they have followed the ethical laws of their community and they are no longer under any obligation to anyone. And that is what a lot of churches are. And friends, that is sociopathic. The Bible says we are under obligation to everybody. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 11. There we go. Nope, there we don't go. Hang on. This is why some people read off of their, um, their phones. I don't, I, because sometimes you can't get a connection. So I downloaded the Bible and printed it. It's handier. <laughs> Romans 13, starting at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Wow. 
Do you think that that made that got um, that got Paul in trouble? It did. It's one of the reasons they killed him. Is because he said it's not the rules, it's the love, it's the relationship, not the rules, and they killed him for it, or they made sure he got where he was killed. The thing is. Only you can judge where your heart is on this. Imagine two women, both of them see a need in their community, both donate identical blankets to a shelter. One is engaging in a work of love that God has called her to. The other had extra blankets and didn't need them anyway. Acting ethically, but there's no love there. God rejoices when he sees the love. God, this is why God was not impressed. Jesus, Jesus was not impressed when the rich guys were giving a lot of money. He said, no, look at the widow. That's the one I'm impressed with. She has a relationship with me. She trusts God to take care of this. By the way, just, just I know how difficult things are in the world. But please do remember, we trust God. And perfect love casts out fear. We need to be showing less fear online and in our conversations and more love. And no judgment. None. If you just give blankets because that's what we do, well then you've got your reward. Matthew 6, 2. You've got your reward. But if you give them because you love, you're concerned, you want to... That's, God sees that. One person writes a check, Sends it to Ashsi, so does another. We receive them, we love them, it helps us keep going. It's hugely important. One is engaged in the family business. The family business is love. We share, we share, we share. The other isn't, it's just out of a sense of obligation. But do you remember what the Bible says? It doesn't say God loves a giver, does it? It says God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah, yeah. There is a, here's an illustration you're not going to hear from most sermons. Then uh, again, this isn't most churches. In 1969, Dr. David Rubin, a psychiatrist, broke all the rules. He wrote a book about sex. And it entitled it, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Sex. Subtitle in parentheses, but we're afraid to ask. It hit like a bomb because back in 1969, so hard to imagine... Um, people didn't talk about it. It wasn't spread around. There was no, there was no internet. And if you wanted to you know, see bad pictures, you had to go to special places that were dingy, dark, and off the interstate. Everything was, this was, in fact, even you watch the Dick Van Dyke show, you watch uh, Lucy or whatever, the married people sleep in separate beds. Because everything was off. Everything was off. And then he writes this book. It's quite a bombshell. But at the very end of the book, he takes two people who have learned everything in the book. About all the parts, what all the parts do, how these things work. And he walks them through an encounter, an engagement, and the aftermath. And he says, now, did they do this right? And in 1969, he said, no, because there's one thing missing, emotion. 
There is not an emotional connection. There is not a commitment of love or caring for the other. It is merely physiological. Therefore, it is a failure. I often wonder who would say that today and how quickly they'd get canceled. You can join a, a church. You can do all the actions faithfully. You can donate satisf- uh, sacrificially and walk out feeling justified when all you've done is practice idolatry. Idolatry of the self and being able to save yourself through certain actions. We look down on the world when they try to find meaning and money, fame and fortune and power. But we do the same when we find meaning in our church label. That we go to the right church with the right label that does the right things. Then what is the center of our universe? It is no longer love. I was talking to Cammie a couple of weeks ago. We were trained to actively disapprove of all other religions. And especially if we could tell, because with the Catholics you could tell, because they wore uniforms. You know, the nuns and the priests. And when we saw them, we just let them know we're not part of this. And then that later, back in the 80s sometime, I was taught and I thought, you know, this is really a progressive thought. They're not my enemies. They are prisoners of my enemy. I thought that was progressive and loving and kind. It wasn't. It wasn't. So I don't know where you are on your journey. You got to get God in the center and not your behavior. God in the center and not your church. God in the center. And that means you're going to have to feel. You're going to have to feel. You're going to have to invest who you are. Love lavishly. My wife is already talking about Christmas. It's not because the tree reminded us. And it's not because, it's because she wants to go be with family. And I do too. But she also, she also was brought up that I'm going to need to be supervised. Because I didn't grow up with Christmas. That was another thing we disapproved of. Um, So many things. So I'm I'm making up for it now. And she tries not to let me be supervised around that time or there will be over-purchasing for the grands who deserve it because they're being raised by people who just don't know how to do that properly. Anyway, (laughs) they're actually doing a great job. I hate saying that publicly, but there it is. I love my grands lavishly. Every time I'll say, "What what can I bring? The parents say, oh, nothing. Well, that's not going to happen. I want to love over the top. I want to love lavishly. I want to love playfully. I want to love joyfully. I believe we are called to give, to serve, to care, and to love just as God has served, loved, and given to us. Even giving His Son, Romans 5, 8, to all of us while we were yet sinners. Larry, I'm going to have you and Nora and Craig come back up and I'll let you readjust your stuff here. So I think I'm going to exit this, this way, guys. So let them get in. As we close this part and do our song and final prayer, go out there.
be Christians. But they're not going to know you are Christians by your appropriate behavior. They're not going to know you are Christians by the things you approve and those of which you disapprove. They're not going to know you are Christian because of the label on the building. Jesus said they will only know you are Christian by your love. What is the center of your universe? Maybe, maybe it needs to be checked. And maybe that's why so many things are out of balance. Bring it back to love. May God bless us and give us peace. Thank you, Patrick. Wonderful message as always. Uh, this song that we'll close with today is called I Am Resolved. As I did a little research on it, uh, I